The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, welcome back yet to another Afternoons with Mike right here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Each and every day, it's my privilege to be here with you at this time across the network. That means from Gainesville to Ocala, down to Orlando. We're uh, coming through loud and clear on all of our stations. And with me today in the studio, a friend that I met when I first moved back to Orlando in 2019, Andy Searles is here. Buddy, welcome. Mike, it is great to be with you again. I, I want to wish you a happy new year, but I'm not sure when the cutoff is that we can't talk about new year yeah. anymore. Are we there <laughs> I, yet? I, I think we're there. A lot of people that I, in fact, I had a conversation uh, last week with somebody who said, this is going to be the last time I say this. <laughs> happy new year. And uh, so, yeah, I, I I don't know exactly when that, I don't think it's an official time, but it does feel already like this year has um Maybe barrel down a little bit with some of the things that, you know, there's new cycle issues that, mm-hmm. you know, no one would have foreseen the trouble mm-hmm. the Republicans had when they moved into the House of Representatives mm-hmm. as the majority mm-hmm. and they could not elect yeah. a speaker. Yeah. I mean, that was something to watch. Yeah, there's uh, we've crammed a lot into the first few weeks yeah. of the year, haven't we? I think that week alone <laughs> felt like three weeks. <laughs> Well, maybe I need to wish you a happy Valentine's Day. Is that the next holiday <laughs> we celebrate? That's the next big thing, man. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, it is, uh, it's really great to get to see you again, and I know you're involved. Andy is the senior pastor at Church Together, and that's in Castleberry. And I'm sure if you're hearing Andy for the first time, you can tell that he's not from Georgia. That's one way I could say that, right? I mean, you're... I drove through Georgia once, but uh, it's about as close as I got to picking up the accent. Yeah. So you're from the UK. I am. Yeah. That is, uh, was home for me. Central Florida is home now. It's where we've uh, dug some roots, planted some roots. Uh, in fact, for Christmas, Uh, My daughter, who just turned 19, she went to England for Christmas. Really? So she spent it with my family and uh, experienced some of the Christmas traditions that I had growing up. And uh, she said, Dad, I, I learned a lot about the way that you are when I was over there. Yeah, she could, and a lot of things became clear. <laughs> yeah, huh? I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, Mike, but I'm glad she learned them, I think. <laughs> well, I, I, think it's, I think it's unfair to the rest of us that are either in ministry now or occasionally still preach in a pulpit. And I say what I mean by saying that is that when you have a guy like you with this delightful <laughs> accent and when you say things the way you say things, it sounds so intriguing and interesting that I think that's an unfair advantage that the well, UK preachers have, man. Well, that may or may not be true. You know, they say that if you want to uh, record an advertisement on the air, then find a British accent. But I'm convinced uh, that the primary reason I got a foot in the door with my wife, who I've been with for almost 23 years now, was because of my 
accent. She liked it. I don't have a lot going for me. I certainly <laughs> didn't 23 years ago, other than my accent. So, oh, so it's man. got me somewhere. It did, and it brought great dividends to you. <laughs> he that finds a wife finds a good thing, and he who has an accent is a lucky guy. <laughs> I just hope I don't lose it. I don't know what that will mean for my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What you do, you sound great. I don't think you've lost a lot since I've met you, man. And it's really fun to get to talk to people like you who come into the United States. The U.S. is home now, but you still have, like you said, family over mm-hmm. there. And you get to go back from time to time. I do. And I'm always grateful when I do. Um, you know, you see something or smell something. And it reminds you of a special formative time in your childhood. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of true for for all of us in many ways that... Sometimes we need to move away and then revisit back to uh, appreciate yeah. what we had. That I don't know what it is about that, but going back, someone once said you can you can never really go back and things be just as they were. Mm. But like you said, there's a, it can be a very positive thing to go back to your home area and maybe enjoy what we took for granted. Maybe that's what I it think, is. I think that's the secret. I mean, there's lots of folks from England who come over here and, oh, it must be amazing, you know, living over here. I bet you go to Disney every week. I'm like, well, it's been several years now. And they're like, what? You know, and and, and I think wherever we are, we become comfortable and complacent. And mm. it's very, very easy to miss the joy and the beauty that's around us. Yeah, I think that's so right. You know, we had the opportunity, Andy, years ago to host a family uh, from the UK, they were from the Kent area, New Ash mm-hmm. Green. That's just um, just south of London, and I was just north of London. Yeah, you were just north. Okay, so you were on the road to what is that, Birmingham? Uh, I was a little further east than the, there. Yeah, we were mm-hmm. northeast. If you were going kind of straight north, you'd take the M4 or M5. I'm sure someone mm-hmm. who knows will will correct me, but one of those or the tube rows. Yes. Yeah. Well, the two wouldn't get you to Birmingham. No, no, no. 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 We took the train to Birmingham. Yes, yes. yes, That's what we did. But uh, it's such a great thing. Uh, We hosted this family and just picking, you know, picking up uh, some of the phrases that they would say, they would always greet us with going, hiya. Mm -hmm. And and that was different. (laughs) Hiya. Hiya. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) And uh, another phrase that they said all the time that we loved was sorted out. We're going to sort it out. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, Meaning we'll solve the problem. Yeah, we're going to solve the problem or we'll figure out what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I caught on to that. And then what happened later, they reciprocated and we went to England and spent some time with them. And our first day at their house, we're in their home and it's just great. We'd gone already to visit a cemetery that was older than right. the United States of America. Right. I mean, So I'd never seen anything in my lifetime Mm -hmm. that was as ancient as was that cemetery. So this is my first really big trip to to Europe and or to the uh, the Isles there, the British Isles, and we were greeted within thirty minutes of being in their home by several neighbors, Mm -hmm. and they all came over, and we just thought they were the most wonderful welcome wagon in the world. But come to find out, I made a comment to them. I said, you know, when we're there, they're asking lots and lots of questions of Cindy and me. And they had never been around an American before. <laughs> it's quite a novelty. 
<laughs> so I told them, I said, we just love being here. This is so much fun already. We love hearing your accent. And one of them said, accent? Hmm. Our accent? You're the one with the accent. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, that's something Americans, we don't ever think about. It, it is. It is. And I love that you went over there. And Mike, I know you've, you've traveled, um, but it's so important that we move from our own culture. Yeah. Right. To experience someone else's culture. And there's the fun stuff, the accents and things like that. But just by putting ourselves in someone else's world, and looking at life through their lens, we see things differently. And That's I think so that enriches us. Um, I'm, I'm heading on a mission trip uh, at the end of February to the DR. It's supposed to be in Haiti, but because of the trouble in Haiti, we can't. I'm going to speak at a conference there. And uh, as soon as I invited go, I thought, I'll go if I can bring my son with me. Because he's grown up in America and he's been to England and seen that a little bit. But going to another country... It's going to change his life, and it's going to build something in him that is so vital as he grows. Mm -hmm. And the good news is we've got so many different cultures within our country right now that we don't necessarily have to travel far to to. But it is different when you do. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm convinced, Andy, that one of the most profitable things that a, a parent can do for their young person, a teenager especially, is to allow them make it make it happen for them to go on a missions trip, mm. and there's there is just an intangible that you get when you're on that. I'm convinced that every missions trip I've ever taken, I was the benefactor. I think so too. You know, we went there to help people. Mm. Uh, we went to Haiti one time, mm-hmm. and we were feeding people in Haiti, and I had some experiences doing that. I. Number one, I saw true drought for the first time in my life Mm. and a drought in an area where it was already just, when I say dirt poor, I'm talking about literally dirt poor poor. and it had not rained in six years. So the dust was dusty. Mm. If you can imagine, there'd be like six inches of dust that you would walk on and literally get filthy just by walking Mm. from place to place because the dust was in the air constantly. And we took this van load full of rice to feed these people. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, the whole community turned out. The whole town, mm-hmm. it's not a big town. They all lived in little huts with windows that had no no glass, mm-hmm. not even a covering in a lot of them. Yeah. And we started, we, we organized a feeding line and... And this something happened that I've never had have two things happened that I've never had happen before. Number one, as these people were going through the line, there were other people outside who were worried that their kids were not going to get anything because the crowd was so great. And they were throwing their kids into the windows, mm. just knowing we'd have mercy on the kids mm. and give them something. Wow. Uh, and then number two, we ran out of rice. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm thinking we're we're dead. We've got this could be for the people who did not get served. Right. I'm thinking this could be a riot. Right. You know, we are foreigners in their their land. Yeah. We're out literally in the middle of nowhere. And instead of that, Andy, everyone there that did not get rice began to applaud and thank us for wow. coming to help their community. Wow. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get my brain around it. 
And we were all weeping. I mean, we were crying our eyes out. Mm -hmm. And I walked away from there with a, with a view that I thought, you know, not everybody in the world responds to things that are disappointing the way I would think they would. And it was a great valuable lesson. Their heart was big, even if their stomach was empty. Well, I think there's several lessons in that, and that's a, a, a phenomenal story, Mike. One is reminded that we just can't outgive God, yeah. right? When Jesus says it's better to give than to receive, he, he longs that we would start this, um, <laughs> almost this friendly competition of trying to outgive each other. But God always wins that that competition he because does. he loves, loves to give. The second thing is just blows me away that those folks who missed out were still grateful that you came. Yeah. And there's a level of selflessness in that, that that we could really do with in our church, in our country, in our culture. Yeah. Because so often, um, you know, we think we're the center of the world, but those folks are saying, hey, well, my friend got sir, got fed and I didn't, and I'm happy for them. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. I never forgot that story. I never, I've never lost the wonder of what happened there. And I remember the fact that these people, it it became very real. We hear it all the time, but unless you've ever taken a missions trip and you see true Mm. poverty, Mm. how that they go to bed hungry every night, not do they, not only do they go to bed hungry, but they, they don't have medical services. So I saw people with serious diseases that, uh, you know, like cancers on their face that had literally Mm eaten holes in their face. It was hard to look at, but there's no medical treatment for them unless someone from the U.S. sends a team of missionaries in to treat these people. And that's, that's what we saw. And so I'm convinced, and I talk to people all the time whose kids go to Guatemala, Mm -hmm. Guatemala or uh, Haiti. Haiti is another trip we took one. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Cuba's another trip we oh, yeah. took. One you know, time. I'm going there in March too. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. Well, that trip was uh, shocking to me in a, another yeah. way. Again, I th- I'm thinking we're going to go into this communist country and basically bring some encouragement, and I'm the one that was encouraged. <laughs> you know, I find out the Church of Jesus yeah. over there is alive and well. Yeah, and and perhaps more joyous than we could have ever got our brain around. Yeah. Well, we serve a missionary God. We serve a missionary God, and uh, often we are the ones that are being missioned too. It's true. And, you know, I talked uh, just last week with somebody who was telling me how that they came from an island. This is Audley McLean, who's on our uh, stations up in Gainesville and Ocala. And uh, he was referring to the work that he was doing in New York City as missions work. Sure. So we have some people who come to the U.S., and I'll tell you what, Andy, we'll be talking about this more next segment, but the U.S. is its own mission field right now, isn't it? I think so. I think um, statisticians have said for a long time that the U.S. is one of the biggest mission fields, uh, you know, in the planet. You know, and we, we, we think ourselves as a sending nation, and it's really, really important that we keep sending people but we also need to be a receiving yeah. nation too and hear what these missionaries have to tell us about how they understand the gospel and what Jesus has done for them. I think God is just kind of cross-pollinizing the world as we send folks over there. He's sending people over here. And um, 
we need to pay attention to that. I agree completely. You know, I heard something. If it's true, it's very concerning. Praying that it's not true, that uh, there's plans underfoot to have in God we trust struck from our currency. I, I don't know if you've heard anything about that or not, but I've got to check that out. But someone told me in the last week that that's there's something afoot on that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think rumors around that have been going for a long time. I don't know if that's necessarily... Yeah, this was a new one. Too, yeah. too new. But talking of Haiti, as you were, um, one of the friends I have in Haiti who runs an orphanage and runs um, uh, a seminary school, and I'm going over there to speak to some of his pastors that have kind of graduated at that, that annual conference. Uh, when he comes to the U.S. and tells the story of Haiti... He mentions that uh, when Haiti started 200, 250 years ago, I could be wrong on that, Haiti was dedicated to the devil. Mm. Um, and he said when America started, it was dedicated to God. And we look at the trajectories of those two countries, which are very, very close to each other in proximity. Yeah, right. Um, one has really kind of flourished, and we're grateful for God for all that he's done for us as Americans. But the other, as you said, is riddled with poverty. And, um, you know, now there's just not a safe place to go. Yeah, and, very and, dangerous. And while I don't, I don't understand it all, there's something that happens when a nation says, we want to be on God's side. Yeah. And I think as much as we can lean into that and build into that and live into that, the better it bodes well for our future, while at the same time inviting others to let God be their Lord, to get let them know Jesus as their Savior. You know, we landed when we went, landed in Port-au-Prince. Yeah. And, and we walked freely through that incredible city. I mean, it's a gorgeous city right there mm-hmm. on the bay, on, on, you know, the Caribbean, uh, Caribbean is right there. Uh, and I'm told now you, you just can't do that. It's yeah. too dangerous. I, I have a friend uh, who in, he's British, uh, but actually, he's just launched a, a TV show in the U.S. called Special Forces. It's on Fox on Wednesday night. His name is Billy Billingham, and he's married to an Orlando girl, and I was involved in their their wedding, and uh, just beautiful. But he is uh, ex-SAS, which is as tough as they get in England. He's uh, rescued uh, hostages from evil terrorists. Uh, he was a bodyguard for some of Hollywood's biggest stars. Um, and when the earthquake in Haiti came, he was sent over there by the British government to establish some hospitals and bring some order. He's a tough guy. But when wow. I told him I was thinking about going, he said, don't go. Even I, with all my SAS military training, would not go. Yep, it's dangerous. Kidnapping is happening daily over there. And so you got to be careful. When I, the DR, that's another beautiful area. Andy Searles is my guest. We'll be back with Andy for segment two coming up in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? 
Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. How I love these times with my friend Andy Searles, who is one of those surprises. <laughs> I, there's a group of people that... I, I don't know about that, Mike. Yeah, there's yeah, not man. too much surprising yeah. about me. <laughs> pretty boring. There's a group of people that I consider to be my surprise new friends. When we move back, you know, I, I'm grateful to have spent almost 17 years in Orlando the first time, and then we moved to Gainesville, mm. and we were there for over 17 years, mm. and then in 19, making the move back to a home area that we just always loved our visits. And of course it didn't hurt that three of our kids had moved, you know, here. And I imagine that was quite a draw. It, it was, uh, it made it pretty nice, yeah. pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. So six of our 10 grandkids are here. Uh, there's just something about coming back, but you are one of those surprise relationships, my friend. And Enjoy uh, whether we run into each other in Castleberry, mm -hmm. which we often do, yeah. and get to see you there at different places. Uh, and I know you just had lunch. Where, where, where were we the other day, Mike, when we ran into each other? Goodness, I don't even remember, man. Was it I, the Castleberry it was. Food and Wine the event? No, Food and Wine event. Yeah. That's right. Yep. They, the Chamber of Commerce does a wonderful job turning yeah. that beautiful park into lots of mini restaurants. Oh, my and goodness. Uh, and it's so much fun to go. And I. I tell you, I like going there just because of running into people that I know and that's then right. seeing it. That's it's so it makes a huge town like or an area like Orlando feel like a small town. I love that. Yeah, it really is. It's not like maybe where you came from. I mean, <laughs> there was I don't think you're you would have been in a size of a city of Orlando there, right? No, I was I was I don't know the population, but my guess would be it was only three or four thousand yeah. uh little little village. Um, and, and I, I like small communities because in small communities we can be known and we can know people. And as a follower of Christ, I believe relationships matter a lot. And sometimes the, the bigger life becomes, the faster life becomes, the louder life becomes, the harder it gets to cultivate that which is most important, mm -hmm. which is the relationships that, that we share that God has given us. So I was very blessed to grow up in a small place. In fact, I just received a note on social media yesterday from a friend who I haven't seen for 30 years. He said, hey, Andy, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm coming to Orlando with my family. I'd love to see you. And I'm like, that's great. That's so exciting. That's someone from my village. Uh, coming to the big city to see me, and it's it's cool. That's really wonderful. And, and again, I think back to that time we were able to host those, uh, that family, those friends from England. And I think having hospitality between nations like that really gives you a greater appreciation, not only for those people, but for the the kingdom of God. Mm. I mean, it does something to our minds. It just enlarges the tents, uh, the boundaries. Of our life. It does. Our God is a relational God. He wants relationship yeah. with us and he longs that we have relationship with, with one another. I, as you mentioned that, Mike, I was thinking about a quote and I'll butcher it, but it was from Abraham Lincoln. And sometime, uh, you know, he's in 
his presidency, his secretary came and said, so-and-so is here to see you. And so-and-so was an enemy. And the secretary said, do you, do you want me to go and destroy your enemy? And Lincoln said, no, 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 bring him in to see me. I can think of no better way than to destroy an enemy than to make him a friend. Oh, I like that. And, and I think the more that we travel, the more that we get to know people, the more we connect with people from different cultures and walks of life, um, the more the barriers come down. And our God is a barrier-breaking God. Yes, right? he is. His love is yeah. for the whole world and for every person in the world. And sometimes we got to break down some barriers in order to, to, to offer that love and to transport that love to them. Oh, that's beautiful, Andy. I like that story and love that quote. That's good. I, yeah, I think re- I butchered it, but, uh, well, but Google it. <laughs> you did the most beautiful job of butchering I've ever heard, my friend. Now, one of the things that you brought along with you when you came over here was your love for what we call soccer. You would probably have called it football over there. Yes, uh, as does the rest of the world. <laughs> Mike, do you, do, you know, do you know why it's called football? Because you use your feet. And a ball, right? In, in, in American football, you use this egg-shaped thing and primarily your hands. So again, I have this conversation all the time. Football is a much more logical name for it, I couldn't soccer agree more. Yeah. Soccer. And why call it soccer? I mean, where does that come from anyway? And you do sock it with your foot. I get it. But, uh, you know, the whole thing. And this was great when my son was uh, probably, oh goodness, I, I think he's probably eight years old, uh, decided that he wanted to give a go. He played basketball and some of the little kid leagues and things, but he, we had a, a soccer league that was opening up. Oh, he, he saw the light. He saw the light. That's another way to say it. And, and so we went to this meeting and it was, uh, you know, for, for new kids and uh, it wasn't just a meeting for the new kids. Turns out that they were seeking some friends from dads to become new coaches. There you go. And so here's this Hoosier that I've only played basketball and baseball. <laughs> and they're asking me to coach what would become my son's soccer team. And Andy, I did not know. I'm not kidding you. I did not know anything beyond the fact that you kicked that ball with your foot. That's all <laughs> I knew. And so... Like a crazy person that I am, I agreed to do it to spend time with my boy. That's, and, that's what we do as parents. I mean, how many things yeah. did we go to? Uh, would love this opportunity for your son, but uh, you gotta you gotta do it. You gotta ante <laughs> up here, man. We need we need coaches, and so I said yes, and then I'm off to the races researching out everything that I could read on soccer and the rules and what you can do and what makes a, a free kick and mm-hmm. the penalties and, you know, all of that, a corner kick. I had to learn <laughs> all of this stuff and I had to learn it fast. I'm talking about within days. So I was cramming, man. And that, that was before YouTube and stuff like that. huh? Yeah, it, it, it would have been. Yeah. Well, I, I had the complete opposite experience. I don't even know where I learned soccer. It maybe was even kind of born in my blood because of of uh, being born in England, but we played it in elementary school. And, and soccer became a problem in my life, as often sports can. It became an idol in oh, my yeah. life. Oh, yeah. It can overtake it, you. It, it became the thing that defined my mood. It became the thing that captured my discretionary money. It became an identity for me. If my team won, I was happy. If they lost, I was sad. And while I love the game, uh, 
I don't love what it did to me. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't until I began a relationship with Jesus that that idol of sports in my life decreased so that the power of God could increase in my life. Now, that sounds very much like people I know that love football to that degree. <laughs> well, I know people who love football to that degree who haven't realized yet that football <laughs> is an has idol. that hold on them. <laughs> I agree completely, my man. And and we're talking about the bad time of year to bring that up. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry if we stepped on your toes. Super Bowl, now what's that? Is that important? Come on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I think it's hilarious to talk to somebody who really understands what football really is, which is soccer. And, and as you said, that's what it's called in the whole world, except isn't that just like the rest of us in America that we think we, you know, we have the baseball league and we call it the World Series and only Americans play in it. Yeah, Mike, I have an answer to that statement. Um, no comment. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you just tuned in, Andy Searles is my guest. He's from Church Together in Castleberry. And speaking of soccer, one of the things that is not only fun for you, but it carries this marvelous purpose of getting to be with people, getting to share the gospel. You found a way to kind of combine both of those things into becoming a chaplain, right? Yeah, I'm a, a soccer chaplain for our local hometown club, Orlando City, uh, Go Lions. And uh, I got involved with that um, primarily because of the grace of God. When I realized that, that, that God was the Lord of my life and sec- soccer took on a uh, lower level importance, um, when the team came to town, I thought, man, I'd love to get involved in soccer again. Uh, not that it would take over my life, but that I could share what I've learned from my journey in it. So mm-hmm. uh, since almost the beginning of the club, there was a, a friend who was here for a couple of years before me. I've been the chaplain of the team. And so uh, I pour lots of care and support and uh, studies and um, stuff into the players. And it's really been a, uh, a wonderful journey for these last nine or 10 years. Now, I think a lot of people might be surprised to find out that a professional soccer league like that in this woke day in which we live would still not only have a chaplain, but that they would want to have someone like that. I think that's pretty great. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some, some rules and guidelines that I need to uh, stay within, but one of the problems with professional sports, and this isn't just a soccer problem, this happens in football, baseball, basketball, is that it's so easy to treat the players like a commodity, mm-hmm. right? We talk about players' salaries and we talk about transfer fees and we talk about all their stats. And really, they live a very vulnerable life because, um, you know, we, we, I mean, maybe you're a little bit different. You do your, your work on the air, but there's so much that we do that we don't expose. These guys are exposed all the time. And one of the dark side is, of that is that people judge them very quickly mm-hmm. and therefore a lot of um, teams and fans treat players like a commodity oh he didn't deliver today he didn't get that three-pointer get rid of him yeah, bring someone else booed. in yeah and one of the things that i do is remind players that they are not commodities <laughs> that they are people 
people who have a name and people who have a value and people who are cared for and people who matter and people who are created in the image of God. So in this this harsh, cutthroat, commodity-valuing world of sport, I think there's a lot of space to come in, to say to athletes, to say to coaches, to say to those around the sport, uh, you matter. You're, you're a person of great worth. Don't buy into the lie that you're only as good as the last thing you did. You know, you hear a phrase, and I hear this in basketball a lot, where the player who's coming up at the end of a contract, mm-hmm. and instead of being renewed, he wanted to stay in XYZ City, but instead he's being shipped off to another one in a trade. Mm-hmm. And you hear the player say this, hey, it's a business. And and they have to kind of resolve that they pull up roots. And you think, you know, you're right. They're still people. Yeah. And that's tough. I've made some moves. Yeah. It's tough making a move. Yeah. Even to a place that you like, it's tough. Yeah. It's it's a business. It's true. I mean, the purpose of professional sports is ultimately to, to, to make money. Um, but Mike, in any business, we're not just about the business we do. We're not as good as our last deal. We're about more than that. We're people who who think and love and receive love. And um, the, the phrase, it's just business, suggests to me often that we haven't been as caring and compassionate as we could have been. Yeah. And as perhaps God invites us to. The, 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 the twist on all this is that when we start to treat people as people, not as commodity, not as uh, chess pieces in our business, but that teams and businesses succeed better. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the social science is now suggesting that which Scripture has long advocated, that if we care for someone and value someone, they actually perform better. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a um, a huge space for the church to step into as we look at the sports world or the business world or even the worldliness of our kind of broken culture and say, hey, one of the ways that we can do better and get better is by figuring out how to love each other well. That's beautiful. Uh, as a reflection of the love that we have received. You know, I can only father. imagine how difficult it is for some of these players because, you know, when they're a pro player and they're playing for a Mm -hmm. team in Orlando and there's a a player in that league. I mean, a a city that plays in that league, Frisco, Texas. Mm -hmm. And my son lives near there. In fact, my daughter-in-law's parents live in Frisco. So they're very close to the soccer Mm -hmm. stadium that's there. You know, only the best of the best of these players. And you were right. It's cutthroat. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's tough to get in. You think about the, the, players that you get to talk with, their confidence level is, it might've been trained into them that they are only as good as their last stats were last year or last month or last game. Yeah. So they, they hear a guy like you say this, that's how it's got to almost be like a welcome. It's groundbreaking, right? Because I mean, in in any sport, if you want to succeed in professional sports, you, you are the cream of the crop of the crop of the crop. And you've been doing it since you were three or four years old, and you've made all kinds of sacrifices. You've given up weekends. You've given up um, childhood, youthhood in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all been about the dream of 
of playing at the highest level. But as often happens, when you get to the highest level, um, it mm. kind of leaves you a little bit empty. Mm-hmm. Doesn't and, satisfy. Yeah. And so a gentle reminder, hey, you're not about your stats. You're not about just your value to the team. You have great value as a person because you are made and created in the image of a loving God who, when he created you, uh, did so as a work of art, his workmanship. Mm-hmm. He, put, he, he values us greatly. Got just a minute left in this segment. What's your favorite experience of being a chaplain for uh, the Orlando soccer team? I think I love, as in all areas of life, when the penny drops for guys and they realize there's something deeper to life than just their win. And there's been numerous stories mm. of how um, the trajectory of a player's life has changed just because at the right time someone was there to to care for them. And that's certainly um, not always me. And there are many other folks who care as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love transformational stories. I love mm-hmm. redemptive stories. And God is writing those in sports. God is writing those through the church. God is writing those stories in all kinds of places. Hmm. Well, when we get back, I want to find out how that your work with that kind of thing, with evangelism, working with other churches, how that really inspires you. And think about this, how it impacts you in your work with your own local church, because I know it does. Andy Searles is my guest. We'll be back one more segment with Andy coming up. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. With me is Andy Searles from Church Together, and that is in Castleberry. We were talking at the end of the last segment, and I want to follow up with that, because uh, the work that any minister does, it's, it, it kind of all really in a beautiful way blends together. But I know that your heart, like most every pastor that I know and I get to work with, is still primarily you aim your most attention at your own local church. Absolutely. But having said that, I know that these other other things that you do, like the chaplaincy work, uh, really makes uh, a, a difference in how you do that work at uh, church together, right? A- absolutely. It, it, it all feeds together. There are um, several projects that I uh, lead and live in. As you said, the primary one is the church, and that's so, so important because Jesus loves his church. I know there's lots of people who are leaving church and deconstructing church and all that kind of stuff, but the church is still God's plan A to share this redemptive message. And so I'm I'm a big church guy. I love the church. Um, But the way that I believe God has shaped the church is that we're to be light in the darkness. And so often to, um, you, you know, use the words of Jesus, we do hide that light under a, mm-hmm. a bushel. Even if we're not trying to yeah, or intending to. Yeah. And so, so I, as a pastor and as a leader in our church, tends to be uh, very intentional about saying, how can we shine this light in, in dark places. And so we go into several uh, different areas of society 
And uh, I try to be me and my church folks try to be them and let Jesus shine through us to be light in the darkness. And the way that I kind of process that myself is that as I pastor a church, I also go into other communities and other groups and try and pastor them, pastor them with care and compassion and with love, but try and pastor them towards the light of Jesus too. Now, one of the things that as I've talked to pastors, they feel always falling short on this one goal, and that is to get around people who are not believers. And that's why I love what you're doing with this chaplaincy, with your love and desire to be as involved in Castleberry and the community in which you live as what you are, Mm -hmm. because you're putting yourself out there doing events that are not just church events. It gives you an opportunity to meet people who are in need of the gospel, and you can have that pastoring impact on them. Absolutely. I think I've probably reached a point in my life where I'm around as many non-church folks now as I am church folks. And I got to say, Mike, I I love it. It's not that I don't love my time with my church folks. I'm so grateful for them and the rich relationships we share. Now, I don't know if you would would agree with this, but I think that's not common for most pastors. Uh, I I definitely feel like an outlier (laughs) in in a lot of the ways that we've kind of set our church up and a lot of the ways that my ministry um, kind of exercises itself. But I, I just find it a great blessing to be around people who don't share the same faith as I do. One, it's a great opportunity to to love and to care, which everybody needs. Yeah. Secondly, though, I find that often my faith grows through the challenge of being around people who don't share my faith. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it's just uh, you're a rare bird. That's the only difference, <laughs> because a lot of people are intimidated in their own faith when they're with people who aren't affirming them and all of that. So it it's that's that uh, maturity that I believe God wants us to get to, where we can be confident of God. I mean, Paul talked about it. I am confident of this. I know in whom I have believed. Yes. And I think when we do that, when we know that, then you put yourself into a room full of unbelievers whose language is not like what you're used to hearing in your church or their practices. They're talking about things for which you have no category for in terms of how you spend your time. Uh, It can be intimidating. And I think add to that the fact that so many pastors are really, and this is a good thing, they're wanting to be very faithful They're wanting to be very diligent, to learn the word as much as they can, to pour into their message. But that can bring an isolationism. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can become isolated from other people and from the opportunity to bear witness of Jesus. Yeah, I think think that isolationism, isolationism is a very real thing. And that isolationism, that's a, is that a word? That's, I, I, I may Let's have coined it. a word. I, I think I just invented a word. And that isolationism stands against. <laughs> Don't look it up, folks. Just believe it. <laughs> yeah. But it stands against the premise of a church. Yeah. And the church in the world, which is we are a communal people of God together. One of my heroes of the faith is John Wesley. And Wesley said, there is no such thing as an isolated Christian. 
And I think he's right because we need each other, but it's not just been in community with each other as a church. And that's so important, though, because that's where we grow and we're shaped. But we need to be in community with those outside the church as well. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to someone the other day, and I, I kind of model a church as a little bit different. But but we really do exist to serve our city in Castleberry. It's almost like Castleberry is our ecosystem. And within that ecosystem, we have lots of um, different agencies, right? We have a police department, we have a school system, we have healthcare providers, we have a local government. But the church needs to be at the heart of that ecosystem. If you will, we need to kind of be a filter in that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we've got to be in relationship with everybody in that ecosystem. The problem I see is that so many churches have so sadly, for so many reasons, separated themselves outside of their local community. And we kind of justify it by saying, hey, the church is, 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 is people who are set apart and we are, yeah, but we're yeah. people who are set apart in a mission field. Set apart with a mission to take the word of God and be his witness. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's what I love about what you guys are doing, all of you in the Castleberry area. Now, the church that I attend, Metro Life Church, is right there as well. And I, I, I heard you say you had lunch with one of the pastors there just today. Absolutely, because we're not competitors. We're brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's not someone who I am connected with in an organizational system. He's someone who my heart is connected with because we serve the same God and we share the same mission to make him known in the same area. Well, when you have that kind of fellowship with other pastors, that brings a camaraderie of its own, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you you know, Mike, from your story, pastoring is a lonely job. It is easy to be isolated in the pastorate, but that's not how God is intended. I get it. I live it. Yeah. I, I, I hurt because of some deep moments of loneliness from season to season in my life, but we're better together and we're made for together. And that's why I want to be part of the church together. Yeah, that's a great name. I don't know that I've ever heard another church fellowship have that name, Church Together. But that's uh, what Andy has done. He's brought this church and they are together and they do life together with a lot of other churches in the Castleberry area. We we thought about calling ourselves Together Church, but then I would have to resign because I really don't have it all together. together. (laughs) But we want to bring people together in relationship with Jesus, in relationship with each other. And we want to bring groups and organizations and churches together for the peace and prosperity of our city. Got less than five minutes left, Andy. I'd like to jump into the area of theology, practical theology, and what you would see right now. 2023, we're here, whether we say Happy New Year anymore or not. We're in that new year. What is the one thing that you're hearing from the Lord in your times of prayer that that people need to hear, theologically speaking? What message from the Word are, are people hungry for? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And if we've got five minutes left, we're not going to scratch the surface <laughs> of it. But I'm reminded of the great theologian theologian Karl Barth. You know that mm-hmm, name? I do. I, I believe it was him. And written manuscript after manuscript after manuscript of uh, theological 
doctrinal material. And someone said, out of everything you've written and everything you've read, what's the most profound theology that you understand? And in his old age, he quoted that children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Simple as that. And I think as a church and as the people of God, we need to get back to that simple truth. We live in a world and a culture and society that is making some terrible decisions, going in a horrible direction, a dangerous direction, because we've forgotten that we are loved. Mm. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think in the midst of all our cultural challenges, we as the church need to figure out how to express that agape love of God to a world that is hungering for it. You know, we're almost being tempted, I think, by the news media on a daily basis to get angry and to uh, just fire off at people and maybe throw stuff and primal screaming. I don't know, whatever people are doing in this crazy culture. But, you know, to love, to love our enemies. I love going back to that quote that you used from Lincoln. If we could take our enemies, take people that see things differently, take people that are really maybe doing things that cause anger, mm-hmm. and instead of hating them and casting them out, to aim to try to show love to them, that would be to many, I believe, a novel thought and a novel approach. That That is the call of this hour. Mike, as we wrap up, if I can just give due encouragements to our listeners Uh, First, in this world, in this society, let's walk with a non-anxious presence. Now, that's a phrase that comes from family systems psychology, but it also comes to those who follow Jesus. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace and we are following him, then we can have peace. And no matter how much noise the world is making, no matter how much anxiety is all around, we can stay calm and in peace because we know Mm. the Prince of Peace. So firstly, uh, friends who are listening, uh, lead and love with a non-anxious presence. The second thing that I would say, in a world where there is so much brokenness and so much we disagree with and so much we wrestle with, one of our roles as Christians is to build bridges of grace strong enough to bear the load of truth. Mm. Truth Mm. is heavy and it's hard, but it's truth. We have to communicate it. But truth is best shared when there's a foundation of love and grace. And so, friend, live with a non-anxious presence, but also in your life, seek to build bridges of grace where there's enough grace so that truth can be carried across. Wow. Well, I think you did more than scratch the surface, my friend. I think you broke open that whole discussion. That was well done, well said. And those are nuggets of truth that we can all take today and apply it in this new year. And maybe God will use us in ways that we've only prayed about, only thought about, only dreamed about in 2023. Andy Searles, thank you for being with me today. It's been great to have you. Mike, it's always a always a pleasure, and I love hearing your stories on the <laughs> air as well. Well, thank you, buddy. And friends, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd. <laughs>